Well, looking at Psalm 46, uh, the author of this psalm is unknown. And don't let that cause you problems. If you're looking at the heading there, and Richard read that earlier, that's provided for us, we see that the psalm is attributed to the sons of Korah. And there are no indications in the psalm that David was the author of this psalm. Or that even refers to a situation that occurred during his time. Some scholars uh, speculate, and I don't say that in a negative sense, they speculate as to the occasion that brought about the writing of Psalm 46. Others say that it's not possible to determine the exact occasion for which this psalm was written. But all agree that it was for sure written with great trouble and danger in view. It was written as a result of great adversity from which God had provided deliverance. And for that reason, Psalm 46 relates to anyone, anyone who is in a time of trouble or to anyone who will face trouble in the future. Psalm 46 is a psalm of confidence because it tells us that when trouble strikes, God is sufficient to get you through that time. No problem, whether emotional, physical, spiritual, is too big for our God. Regardless of what it may be, our God is bigger than any problem we have. If we will learn to take refuge in Him and lean on Him for our strength, then we can face the greatest of predicaments with a calm assurance. Because God is with us. And He is sufficient. Psalm 46 speaks to us and tells us to look to God because He is our mighty fortress. With that said, we also need to realize from Psalm 46 the fact that God is our refuge and strength does not mean that we're immune from troubles and problems. The Bible teaches no such thing. And I'll say this nicely, I don't care who is on TV telling you differently, they have not read their Bibles. The Bible teaches no such thing. It teaches that God is our help in trouble, not that we are exempt from trouble. The question is, when trouble strikes, do you want to face it with God as your refuge and strength, or do you want to go somewhere else to find help? That's the question. Psalm 46 is also a psalm of confidence because it points us to a future expectation in verse 10, when God will be exalted among the nations and in the earth. In verse 10, there's a call there, uh, not directly, but there's a call there to the gospel. There's a call to, to salvation. Actually, verse 10 is a wonderful promise to missionaries and a promise to us that should inspire and encourage us as we take the gospel to our neighbors and to our community and to the, our nation and to the ends of the earth. It should encourage and motivate you as an individual believer to know the gospel well. To study the gospel well and to proclaim it to those you live among in your everyday life. Looking at your handout there, you see the main idea. And it's this. God's presence and protection brings confidence and courage among His people. God's presence and His protection brings confidence and courage among His people. Let's look at verses 1 and 3. You see your hand out there, the outline. God's strength is our refuge. Thus, we can be courageous. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Troubles are constant in life. Amen? They come. What's the old saying? You're either in one, coming out of one, or you have been in one. I didn't get that in the right order, but you understand what we're saying there. They will come. They're unavoidable. When they do come, where do you turn? 
Where, where do you go? How do you respond? Psalm 46 provides great counsel as to whom and where we should run. Notice verse 1 there. Notice the tense of this verse. This is extremely important. God is. Present tense. Not God was, not God will be, but God is. God is today, right now, present. God is present now. He is with you now. Not was or will be presently, all the time, wherever. God is right there with His people. God is present. But notice what else it says. God is our... What's the first thing it tells us about God? He's our, our refuge. Refuge simply is a protection, a place of shelter, a place of safety. When you're wanting to get away, when you're wanting protection and safety, you look for a place to go, right? You look for a refuge, something that will protect you. So God is... Very present, and He is a refuge. He is the place of shelter and safety. Notice next, He's um, strength. I think that's pretty simple. It's a, a power, a source of might, and a source of means to meet the trials of life. God gives us a renewed sense of strength for our trials. He's our refuge. He's present all the time. He is our strength. We go to Him for the strength we need in times of trials. I was listening to someone preach a sermon the other day. And he was talking about the firefighters during 9-11. I thought this was a very interesting story. He said, you can you picture that. You remember back to that time. You saw the Twin Towers come down. And you can imagine all the dust and the, and the smoke and everything that was going on around there. And the, the fatigue that was set in on those firefighters. And they would take those firefighters to the hospital when they'd become overcome with, you know, just worn out and smoke and dust. And they'd take them to the hospital, and the first thing they would do is hook them up to an IV. They needed to get fluids back into them. And so they kind of, you, you can imagine the chaos. And they would kind of push them out to the sides and put them in a place and hook them up, and at least get some fluids back into them. And when finally a doctor would get around to checking on them, you know what they found? The IVs were hanging and they were empty. You know what had happened? Once they've gotten those fluids, I've got, well, I've got my strength. My, I've been refreshed. I've been renewed. And they just unhook themselves. And guess what they would do? they go right back into the fight. That's what God is for us. He's our strength. He's like that IV that we hook up. He's that strength. He's always there. He's ever present. That's God's strength for the believer. He renews us and we continue to fight. We continue to live and, and, and go in this world. Notice next there, He's a very present help. A constant companion and comforter. A very much present help. Not just when you need Him, even though He is, but He's always there. In the Hebrew, it reads like this. He is right there. That's pretty simple, is it not? He's right there. He's immediately present. There's never a time when God is not with His people. Psalm 145, verses 18 and 19. I didn't give you the... The text, but I gave you the reference in your handout. The Lord is near to all who call on Him. To all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and He saves them. Psalm 50 verse 15. And call upon Me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify Me. And then Hebrews thirteen five says, I will never leave you nor, what church, forsake you. So we can confidently say, as it continues, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. God is our refuge from fear in times of trouble. It doesn't mean He will always take away the trouble. 
See, a lot of times we read those verses and we say, hey, if we just run to God, He'll get me out of this mess, right? We discover that's not always the case, right? But God is ever-present. There's never nothing that goes on in our life, regardless of what it is, that God is not there. We run to Him. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our very present help. Notice in verse 2, based on that, notice how we're to respond. How are we to respond, church? Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, and you have that word out to the side, which I'll explain here in a minute, Selah, or Selah. If you're from the south, it could be pronounced a hundred different ways. Ever how you want to pronounce it. Therefore, God is our refuge. He's ever-present. He's our strength. Therefore, because God is those things, we will what? Not fear. Trouble will not cause me to fear. There's never a time when God is not present with the believer. Even in the operating room. God is there. Even in the doctor's office when he says you have cancer, guess where God's at? He's right there. Even when you lose your job, and you're wondering how you're going to take care of your family, God is there. Even when your relationships that you have go south and things go crazy in your relationships, guess where God's at? He's there. Even when you sit with your loved one and you watch them breathe their last breath, even when you face death yourself, God is there. Never is He not there. Never. What more do we need? Never is there a time when God is not there. Verses 2 and 3. Notice what it says. We will not fear. Listen to what it says. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. That word Selah means to meditate or to think about this. That's what that word means. Meditate on this. Think about this. The idea here in these verses 2 and 3 is uh, there's things over which you and I have no control, right? We like to be in control of everything, but there's things that you and I have no control over. We still will not fear, even though we have no control of our circumstances. That's what verses 2 and 3 are saying. God is our refuge. He's our strength. He's our very present help in the time of trouble. Though everything goes chaotic and our world falls in, we will still not fear. Meditate on this. Think about this. Contemplate. God is always present with His people. Therefore, church, we will what? We will not fear. Even though everything around us falls apart. We will not fear because we know... What do we know, church? God is there. In whatever shape difficulties attack us, we will not fear. Large or small, big or little, we have courage. We will not fear. Why? It's because of who God is. God is our what, church? He's our refuge and He's our strength and He's our ever-present help. Meditate on that. Think on that. Ponder that. Look at your handout as we move to verses 4 through 7. God's city is eternal. Thus we will be glad. 
God's city is eternal, thus we will be glad. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. I love these next words. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. There's a significant change here. If you had picked up on it in nature, in the mood, beginning with verse 4. We go from earthquakes and raging waters and we're brought to a wonderful river and a holy city. Do you see that? The holy city here, for whoever the writer of this psalm is, refers to the city of Jerusalem. That's code for the city of Jerusalem. However, it should be understood that Jerusalem is a reflection of the heavenly Jerusalem that we are looking forward to. It's a picture. It points to the fulfillment of the future heaven. You remember when we studied Revelation 21? What was, the, what was the future new heaven and new earth referred to? That holy city, new what? Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Danny Aiken says this, The river is a picture that looks back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2 and reminds us of what we lost in the fall. The river also takes us forward in hope of what will be recovered through Jesus. The river also takes us forward in hope of the river of life that will be in the new heaven and the new earth. That's what these verses are pointing us to. That's what they're saying. Look to this. Notice that this river, notice what it says there. It makes glad the city of God. In other words, it makes glad those who live in the city of God. Notice as well that this city has a distinct moral character. It is what? The holy habitation of the Most High. It's a place where God dwells. In case I didn't make that clear, this is pointing us to what? The new heaven and the new earth. Look at this, folks. Look at this. This is what's coming. Then we'll get to verse 10. This will make a whole lot more sense. Verse 5 says, God is in her midst. God is present there. Again, from our study of Revelation 21, who is with us, dwelling with us in the new heaven and the new earth? God, which is Jesus. Jesus will be there. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. And again, I love these words. She shall not be moved. She is referring to the city. She shall not be moved. This is a picture of what? Security. Nothing can move this city. This city is not going to be moved. This city is going to hold. She's not going to be moved. The word moved takes us back to verses 2 and 3. Where what? Though the earth gives way and though all the chaos sits in, this city, our future place, will never be shaken. It will never be moved. This city is not going to be moved. Why? God's there. God is in our midst. And then number two, notice there it says, God will help her when morning breaks. And you're like, okay, I've been with you so far. What's this about? Morning breaks refers to ancient times when at the breaking of daylight was when the ancient armies would attack a city. But this city will know no fear. God will help her. What? When morning when the attack comes, which there's not going to be one, because God's going to, we're about to find out here in a few minutes, God's going to wipe it all out. There'll be nothing to come against this city. The idea is that nothing can move our eternal home. There's nothing that will attack this city and bring it down. Listen, no Ebola. No ISIS. No Hamas. 
No same-sex marriage. Nothing will come against this city. Nothing will attack and move this city. There will be a heavenly city where God's people will dwell. And it will be unshakable. Why? Because Jesus is in our midst. You can't move this city. Look at verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. I love this part. He utters His voice and the earth melts. The city of God brings gladness. It's a holy place. It's safe and secure because God is in her midst. But it's a different story for the nations who rebel against God. Nations that are motivated by their own plans, their grasp for power, and in their rebellion against the God, the creator of this universe. These nations are controlled and captivated by gods who are really not gods. Notice it says they, they rage. Some of your translations say uproar, and they totter, or they're, they're moving and they're jockeying. They, they build what they think is an unshakable world empire. You, you watch the news, right? You see all these nations. They think they're jockeying for positions, and they're getting set themselves in place. They push God out, and they say, we're the big dogs of this world. God has a different response to that, right? Notice what it says, but God utters. He speaks, and what happens? The earth melts. All God's got to do is speak. Today, if He wanted to, all He had to do is speak, and guess what? Gone. Wiped out. Some think this is a reference to what we see in Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. A sharp sword is God just simply speaking. That's what that's talking about. All God has to do is speak. And it's like a sword that will come and it will just slay and wipe out everything. All God has to do is speak. With a word he strikes down the nations. Notice verse 7. You notice it switches again, right? The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts means that God... Here's what that, that, here's what that name for God means. It means that God is the God of all the armies. The name emphasizes God's ultimate power over the whole universe and every living thing. The Lord of hosts. God is over everything. And notice what it says there. Three... Wonderful words. He is with us. He's the God of the universe. But even better than that, He's on our side. He is with His people. Notice verse 7 here. He's also the God of Jacob. And He is our fortress. The God of Jacob means that He's the covenant-keeping God. In other words, He's the God who has promised to be faithful to His people. And that promise will never be shaken. It will never be moved. The believer is secure because of what God says He is and because of what He does for us. Proverbs verse 18. Excuse me. Chapter 18 verse 10 says, The name of the Lord... Some of you know this verse, right? Our choir should know this. Because you sang this song that has this in it. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, a fortress. The righteous runs into it and He is what? Safe. Selah. Meditate on that. Think about it. God is a fortress. He is a powerful God. He longs to be your personal Savior. Think about that. Meditate on that. Here's the question I have. Can, can you run 
to that tower? Can you run to that tower? Are you safe? Is the tower available for you to run to? If you've never trusted in Jesus, can I tell you something today? You are not safe. You're in a world of trouble. You have nowhere to run in order to be safe but to Jesus. The raising and the rebellious nations have been brought into submission. God speaks and the feeble kingdoms of man are reduced to melted wax. Nothing's going to come against God. Notice in verses 8 through 11, God's name is exalted, thus we will be still. Come behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolation on the earth. We just heard about that, right? He makes war cease to the end of the earth, and He breaks the, the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Do you notice what happens here? God calls His people to come and see the works of the Lord. What was declared in verse 6 is now carried out in verses 8 and 9. God declared it, now He carries it out. First, He has brought desolation on the earth. Desolation means to destroy in such a way as to amaze those who watch. Come, my people, look at my power. I spoke, I took care of everything. There's no thought in our world today. You know, as I watch the news, as I watch all these terrorist groups and all these countries with their military, there's, there's no thought in our world that the great nations of the world will eventually disappear altogether. There's nobody even has that concept. They think that they are all powerful. But no nation, no world superpower is exempt from being brought down. Listen, even the good old USA, we do not get a pass. Can I hear to tell you, as the old saying goes, and I'm not pessimistic, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I trust in the Lord, my hope is in Him. But our country, in case you haven't figured it out, as the old saying goes, is headed to hell in a handbasket. But what is the cure for our country? Jesus. The tower. We need to point people to Him. Any and every nation... Even our own that stands in opposition to the kingdom of God and His Son, every nation can be guaranteed a devastating end. Nobody's going to get a pass on that. Second, God will destroy all that's involved with war. I love these verses. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. No more will our sons and daughters ever go to war. The military will not be needed anymore. There will be universal peace and blessing. The instruments of war will be destroyed once and for all, never to be used again for inflicting death and destruction. Never again will we sit and watch a newscast to see the great and mighty military powers of this world. It will be gone. Because what? God has He's just struck everything down. And His kingdom is set up. Listen to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judged and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, 
with which to strike down the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress, winepress excuse me, of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Danny Aiken once again says, What is revealed here is not a treaty, but a surrender. Not a truce, but a one-sided victory that will never be repeated. The book of Revelation shows us the end to remind us of the certainty of the victory that's coming. The whole book of Revelation is this. Are you ready? Jesus wins. Two words. Jesus wins, thus who else wins? His people win. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4 says, He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Look at verse 10. A command is issued. Be still and know that I am God. This is a twofold command. It appeals and it's pointed to two different groups of people. First, God speaking universally. This is God speaking to the nations. Stop striving against me, the one who created you. I'm Lord over you. Stop your striving against me. Stop exerting yourself and your agendas as if you were God. This is God's announcement of His rule and judgment. He says, I reign on the earth. This is my world. Second, it's a command to the people of God. It's a call to trust and put our confidence in the God who will build a city that makes glad the heart of those who know God. Be still, my people. Stop, rest, and know I am God. Meditate, think upon this, and find rest for your souls here. And notice what verse 10 points out to us. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Here's a promise in this psalm, again, that points us one more time to the book of Revelation. And let me read you these verses. And by the way, I don't apologize for reading long passages of Scripture. Listen to what it says. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory, wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Where does that idea come from? Psalm 46. They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst any more, the sun shall not strike them, nor scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Psalm 46.10 anticipates this crowd 
in Revelation chapter 7. Who will stand before the throne in heaven. People from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And John says it's a number that no one can count. And country talk, that's a lot of saved people. Right? Two declarations are made in verse 10. God will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The gospel of Jesus Christ may be opposed, but it cannot be stopped, church. People will come against Jesus and against His gospel, but it cannot be stopped. One day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. It's coming. Verse 11. This glorious God, this glorious Savior, Jesus, this Lord of hosts, what's those three words say? Is with us. The God of Jacob, the promise-keeping God, what is He? He's our fortress. He's our shelter. He's our protection. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, church, we will what? We will not fear. Let's make some application here. Quite simple. Verse 10. Pray for verse 10. To happen. Pray for it to happen. And then guess what? Go share the gospel. Do you make it a habit to pray for people to be saved and then... And then do you look for people to tell them about Jesus? Praying and sharing the gospel is how verse 10 comes about. And you're going, well, well, God's going to do the work. But listen, time after time after time, the Bible says pray. What? For laborers, for the harvest. Jesus says many will come. Pray. Let me ask you, do you think God is opposed to us praying for this to happen? No, He wants us praying for this. And you're going, but He's going to do it anyway. But He says pray. God is going to bring this about. Nothing can stop it from taking place. The question is, will you be a part of God's mission? Will this church, Red Bud, be a part of God's mission? And here's what I want you to understand. God can bring about this mission without you, and He can bring it about without me. He can bring it about... Without our church. The question is, will you be a part of God's mission? That's the question. God can bring this about. I don't want myself, I don't want you, I don't want our church to be sitting on the sidelines and watching. I want to be in the game, right? Fighting for God to be what? Exalted and glorified in all the earth. Doesn't that amaze you that God gives us the privilege to do that? To help bring that about? Christian, here's how you respond. You bow to His ways. Be still and know that I'm God. I am your refuge. I am your strength. I am your very present help. And here's what you do. You bow to His ways. When trouble hits... Don't strive against God. Know that He is the sovereign God even over your crisis that you're in. As God, 
He's going to be exalted in the earth. He wants you to exalt Him by submitting to Him joyfully in your times of trouble. What better way to glorify God than submitting to Him in your heartaches, your trials, your sufferings, and not fearing Him because why? God is there. You want to glorify God in your, in your trials, and your tribulations, and your heartaches? Run to the fortress. Glorify Him. The chief end of man is not to live a happy, trouble-free life. Unfortunately, that's the way we present the gospel. Just come to Jesus and life will be fat, happy, and glad. And by fat, I'm not talking about physical appearance. I'm talking about having stuff. That's what people say. Just come to Jesus and you'll get everything you need and your life will be trouble-free. Can I tell you something? That's not what it means to be a Christian. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We glorify Him when we submit to Him as the ruler in times of our trouble and our trial. We run to Him. He's there. Non-Christian, here's what I want to say to you today. You don't have a fortress to run to. You don't have a safe place. Sooner or later, you will face judgment. And here's my exhortation to you. Run to Jesus as fast as you can. Turn from your sin. Trust in Christ, His perfect life, His death, and His resurrection for your salvation. That is the only hope you have today. Let's pray.